As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. Why they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. And we know the Lord will add a blessing to his precious word. Let us pray. Father, the entrance of thy word giveth light. And Lord, we've read your word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. May there be a hush and a silence as your word is expounded. Anoint me to handle your word. May nothing be seen, may no one be seen, but the lovely person, the gracious person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have always loved this psalm. And I'm sure many of you, as I've read that psalm, you've read that psalm many times when your back has been against the wall, when the pressure has been on, when you've got bad news, when you're going to hospital for results, when there's bereavement, when tragedy, all the things that life throw at us. We run to the psalm and we say, as the psalmist, as the heart panteth after the water brooks. I thought of David. I pondered. I just love the person of David. David, when you read the books of Samuel, this man that God raised up, when he said of David, I have found me a man after my own heart. David was special. David was unique. And David as a boy of 16, they say, or 17, was on the run from a king called Saul. You all know the story. Saul's been rejected. Saul has lost the presence of God. That is the worst thing in life. You can lose your money. You can lose your home. You can lose your car. But to lose the presence of God is a tragedy beyond tragedy. He's rejected. And this boy, David, has been anointed by the Lord. And Saul hounds him like a fox through the desert. 
Why is Saul after him? David's anointed. David's blessed. David's going to be the king. And Saul has an evil spirit that lays hold of him. And it's a jealous spirit. It's an evil spirit. He's trying to get David. He's trying to kill David. But that's not going to happen. But if you'd have said to David at the age of 16, David, in 53 years' time, you'll be doing exactly the same. You'll be on the run. David would look at you. David would say, what do you mean? When you're 70, David, you will be on the run again. Not from Saul, but from Absalom. And this is where I believe this little psalm is birthed. This psalm David pens. I don't know, did he pen it when he was on the run? Or did he pen it after the event when he got alone with God? And he pens and says, As the heart pants after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee. Oh, there's nothing like panting and thirsting after God. It's lost its way in the church. And when I say the church, the body of Christ, nobody's thirsting for God anymore. Nobody's hungry for God. But this man, David, through the trials and the tragedies of his life, still hungers after the living God. The tragedy of David. We all know the story in 2 Samuel 11. The sin of Bathsheba. All oh, the tragedy. What happened to you, David? How could you be so stupid? How could you be so foolish? And I believe what happened to David, you see, there's times in all of our lives we get older. And I hear people say, Pastor, I'm saved 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Do you know they're the most dangerous years of your life? Because when you're a new convert, when you're young in God, you're enthused, you're on fire, you want more of God. When you get older, the zeal and the passion seems to die down a bit. And I believe when David sent Joab and his army off to war, David took a break. David was always out fighting. David goes up to the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba. And you all know the story. When he seen you, it was Uriah's wife. He should have canceled it out. Something happened, David. He probably said to himself, I'll get away with it. Oh, it's, it's only a one-off. Who's going to know? Who's going to be hurt? But God sees. God sees. And when you get older in God, and you're a leader in God especially. Maybe you're in ministry this morning. Those are the most dangerous days of your life. You'll never get to a place to say, well, I've made it. I've got there. Every day you're learning. Every day you're walking softly before the Lord. And David's sin, as you all know, it's forgiven and it's dealt with. But listen to what God said to him. You'll have trouble in your house. You will have trouble that will rise in your house. And it arises by the name of a young man, and he's beautiful, and he's handsome, called Absalom. And Absalom was gorgeous. He had lovely hair. He was beautiful. He's attractive. But Absalom had a sister, a beautiful girl by the name of Tamar. And his brother Amnon, David's son, raped her. And Absalom said, my dad will deal with this. My dad will probably kill him for doing this. And what did David do? He's just angry, does nothing about it. You see, when you fall, and especially as a leader, when you fall, you lose your clout, you lose your authority. And David was weak, and Absalom's angry. And Absalom, listen to what the Scriptures say, Absalom said nothing, neither good nor bad, but in his heart, he's plotting, he's planning, I'm going to get Amnon. 
And he does, and he kills him. David hears of it, and David cries for Amnon, and Absalom runs away into exile. But then a few years pass, and Absalom comes back, and David thinks, well, look, we're back together again, the family. Absalom hasn't finished yet. Absalom has also conspired in those years he's away. He's got friends. He's got men in high places. He is planning to overthrow the king. And that's exactly what he does. David hears of it. And David gets his family together, his mighty men of war together, and his armies. And he leaves Jerusalem. Pastor, why did he not fight? David thought of his family. David thought of the nation. David thought of the country and the city. He wanted no bloodshed. And here's David, 70 years of age, on the run again. An old man, a garment over him, dust in his head, and he's walking out of Jerusalem. And he's probably saying to himself, is this it? Am I finished? Well, Absalom, of course Absalom will get you. Of course Absalom will take your head off. That's how the Middle East works, because you've got to get the king and his sons and his daughters and wipe them out for you to reign. So Absalom thought, but we all know the end of Absalom. He's found hanging from a tree, that lovely hair, hanging from a tree, and that wicked man Job takes a spear and runs him through and buries him. And Absalom's mourned by David. Oh, pastor, listen, how would you feel if it was your son, Absalom? My son, Absalom, I would have died for you, Absalom. And David's restored. He's never the same. He's weakened. And I believe when he pens this, he thinks back of the tragedies in his life. It's lovely to look back on the blessings of God, but equally when you look back on the tragedies of our lives, what has come our way, how we've handled it, has it made us better or has it made us bitter? Sad to say there's believers today and they're bitter. These trials that comes our way should soften their hearts. And he says, as the heart pants after the water bricks, David's world has fallen apart. Oh, what we can bring upon ourselves. We do silly things. We sometimes think it's only a small thing, but it spirals out of control. His back is against the wall. You see, David got careless. David got familiar, and he paid an awful price. David, by doing what he did when he sinned with Bathsheba, he pushed his family and his friends too far. And we do that. We think when we do something, well, it's only to do with me, but there's always the ripple effect. It affects your family. It affects your church. It can even affect the nation. Leadership is an awful responsibility. David likens himself to the heart. David would have hunted. You see, the heart was a clean animal. You could eat it. And David, many a day in his young day, even as a young king, would go out hunting and he would see maybe a heart cornered, this little deer, this roebuck, this hind. He would lift his bow and an arrow and strike it and kill it. And I believe David, when he's on the run, sees a heart running. He said, that's me. We're swapping places. That's me. I'm on the run. There's spears lined up for me. There's arrows, bows and arrows lined up. He says, I'm like the heart. I remember chasing you. I remember hunting you and killing you and leaving you young. And they're after me. And David likens himself to the heart. And here's what it says here. The characteristics of the heart. You know, we read God's word glibly. But you see, when you delve into it, 
I decided, I said, David, why did you write about the heart? This little animal, it's just a deer. It just runs around, you eat it. Would you hear the characteristics of the heart? And you'll understand where David's coming from. Number one, it's a clean animal. It's a clean animal. And when I, when I penned that, here's the first thing that came into my mind when I read about the clean animal of the heart. Listen to Isaiah 52 and 11. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Be clean. O Christians, today the standards are falling all over the place. And sad is coming into the church, but clean for the king. Because I am old-fashioned enough. In fact, no, I'm not old-fashioned. I'm scripturally based. God uses clean vessels. That's why you need your devotional life. That's why you need to get into the closet to get alone with God and be clean. Oh, listen, what's the old song say? Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer that calls me from the world of care. It's a clean animal. And listen to John 15, what Jesus said to his disciples. And it applies to us today. Listen to what he says. You're clean through the word. And listen, the reason why believers are unclean today, they're not reading the word. And if you're not reading the word, you see the word cleanses the heart. The word purifies the heart. The word, I always say to you converts, read this book. It's God's antibiotic to sin. And when you get the word in you, it cleanses you, it strengthens you. So it's a clean animal, this little heart. What else? Here's something else that's beautiful about the heart. It's timidity. It's timid. But could I put it another way? Instead of timid, listen to this. It's humility. It wouldn't harm you. This little creature wouldn't harm you. It just wants to live. It just wants to survive. And when I thought of its timidity and I thought of its humility, I thought of Micah says, what, is, what does the Lord require of us this morning, church? From the youngest to the oldest, church leader, pastors, assistant pastors, whatever you may be in the body of Christ, listen to what Micah says. What does the Lord thy God require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? You see, there's people can feign humility. They act it. It all looks good, but humbleness is in the heart. Humbleness is a nature, and that nature only comes through prayer and being alone with God and the Word of God. You see, you'll know a man, you'll know a woman by their company. And listen, if you've been in the company of Jesus, people will know you've been with Jesus. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to say, I did this, I did that, I healed this one. People see it. People see it. And when you're alone with God, it creates humility. Think of the twelve. The privileged 12 alone with Jesus for almost four years. They heard him pray. They saw him alone with his father. They got alone when he taught them the scriptures. And it rubbed off. How do you know it rubbed off? Listen to the book of Acts. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's the difference. That's the difference. So it's a clean animal. It's a timid little animal. But here's a beautiful attribute of this little creature. It has affection for its own. Watch, I, I, I love the, the, the wildlife 
programs to see creatures. Do you know how they care for each other? Look at those. We say they're wild. They treat their family better than we do. They protect them. They look out for them. But they're affectionate. How, how they're, they're babes to protect them and clean them and feed them till they're mature. All oh, the patience of those little animals. But listen to this, it's a faction. What does Paul say to us, the body of Christ, this morning in Romans 12? Be ye kindly, affectionate, one toward another. Sad to say, the body of Christ today spends more time fighting with each other, criticizing, sarcastic, be affectionate. We are living in the last days. We're watching what's going on all around the world. Now listen to me, church, this morning. I said this to Whitewell four Sunday nights ago in the Whitewell pulpit. We've had COVID. You've had monkeypox. Ukraine war. The cost of living. Look at all the cost of stuff all over the world. Look at Iran this morning. Look at North Korea. Look at Russia this morning. The king's coming. This is, listen, this isn't a battleground we're in. Sorry, this isn't a playground we're in. This is a battleground. We should not be fighting one another. We should be standing by one another, looking out for one another, defending one another. The things that's come. Listen, one of the greatest signs we're missing, and I said all the time as a visit, I'm going to get the opportunities to speak. All those things I've mentioned, yeah, they're important. But here's the big one. Jesus said of these days we're living in, so shall it be as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're in the thick of it. Look at immorality. This little nation 50 years ago, think, look back at ourselves. The churches, the preachers, the missionaries, where are they all? There's a decline in the nation. And you may say to yourself and look at yourself as we do at Whitewell, but we're not much. Listen, when the presence of God blows on you, that's all you need. I, I go to churches. I see it even in other churches. I see it all over the place. Steam, lights. What's all that about? It's the presence of God. Listen to what the gospel writer says. It was noised. He was in the house. See, when Jesus is in the house, you don't need steam. You don't need electric lights and flashing stuff. You need his presence. It meets a need. So here we go. Now here's another one. The secrecy of its hiding place. This affected me more than anything. This little creature, this little heart, the secrecy of its hiding place. And not only, what do you mean by that? Every little animal has a hiding place. I, I love to walk, and I see a fox run into a wee hole. You see a rabbit run into its wee burrow, and you see the birds fly into their nest. It's their hiding place. It's their secure place. But there's something else about the hiding place. It's the birthing place. It's the birthing place. Prayer. Oh, the hiding place of prayer. There's nothing like it. Oh, praying. You may say to me, Pastor, it's difficult. Of course, it, there's days you're flying like an eagle. And there's other days you're bumping along the ground. But never give up on your prayer life. Never give up on your prayer life. Do what I do. Let me, I'll let you into one of my wee secrets. If I get things tough and I find it difficult, maybe to phrase words, put sentences together, you know what I do? I just sing to him. I just sing to him. That's what I do. Because worship brings the presence of the Lord. 
Worship brings him into the midst. Worship, I think the Chinese use this illustration. When you're worshiping this morning, church, you are building a seat, a throne for him to come and sit in. And when you worship, then the heart opens and the well opens, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, the secrecy of its hiding place or its birthing place. Do you have a hiding place? I have a hiding place. Where is a pastor? It's not white well. It's not the house. Listen to the psalm, what he says. The psalmist says in Psalm 32, you are my hiding place. I run to Jesus. Hiding place is a person. Your hiding place is a person. How do you know that, Pastor? Listen to the words of Christ in Matthew 6. Listen to what he says. And when you pray, Go into your closet. Close the door. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. It's the secret place. There's no shortcuts. The church today is busy with gimmicks and gimmicks and gimmicks. It's prayer, prayer, prayer. And then after prayer, prayer, prayer. What after prayer? He comes. We sing a wee chorus in Whitewell. Just like you promised, you've come. And listen, we can pray for him to come to your church, but pray for him first of all to come to you individually because we are gathering together unto him and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. You may say, I'm going to church this morning. This building's not the church. You're the church. And when you came together this morning, you brought the presence of the Lord in your hearts. So the secrecy of its hiding place Here's something else about this little creature. It's alertness. It's alertness. Watch those nature programs, especially the bee animals that maybe the lion would be after, the tiger or the cheetah or the great eagle. It's constantly looking. Maybe the, it's brought its young out for the first, teaching it how to eat. And watch, watch what they do, the mother or the father. They're looking. They're watching. They're listening or they protect their young people. Ephesians 6 tells us as Christians this morning, put you on the whole armor of God. Today, the Christian church has thrown off the armor. The, the, the armor. It's time to keep it on and be alert to all that is going. Predators. Oh, yes, there's predators outside the church, but there's predators sneak into the church. What do you mean, pastor? Absalom's. There's an Absalom in every church in this country. Who's Absalom? It's the guy. It's the person that fancies himself. I could do this. I could do that. I... We've all met them. We've all met them. They're Absaloms. They're Absaloms. They're not, they're not of God. They're a wolf. And if they have their way like the Absaloms, they will scatter the sheep. They will destroy the church. That's why leaders pray for your leaders. They need their eyes in their head. They need a heart that's open, the ears to hear in these days of subtle day and craftiness. And then something else, something so, so important about the little heart, it's stability. It's stability. Listen, it is a sure-footed creature. It can climb the high places and it can go down to the low places. Watch those creatures, especially those mountain goats who go up hundreds and thousands of feet and they never slip. You see, we need to be stable. 
We need to be stable. How's your feet this morning? I'm not talking about your corns and kabunkles and all the things and bunions. How's your feet this morning? How do they stand? Where do they stand? Where are they walking to this morning? Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 1. Blessed is he that walketh before God. Walking. How's your walk? How's your walk this morning? Can you, can you manage the slippery places? Can you manage the rocky places? Oh, it's lovely when you get a lovely flat path, path to walk on. I, I'm 64, 65, and I find hills now. Seeking up a hill, I'll do anything to avoid it. But you've got to be able to walk up hills, down hills, flat places, lonely places, wet places, slippery, dry places. Be stable in your feet this morning. Be stable in God this morning. And all that I'm saying, all those little points, how do you do those points? The secrecy of prayer. The closet. The stability. It's sure-footed. Listen to what David said in 2 Samuel 22. He maketh my feet like hinds' feet. David said, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. David was mighty. David could run. David could walk. David could fight. David built a government. David built a city. David built a nation, subdued his enemies all through God. There is no man can do it on his own. You take what you're in this morning. It was built through God. It was built through God. And listen this morning, church, stay close. Look after the, the, the family of God. Look after the elderly. Look after your children. Look after each other. Be strong. I want to close by saying this. I want to highlight something this morning. And this to close. We haven't time to go through the entire psalm, but listen to what it says here. In Psalm 42 and verse 5, David says something very, very important. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. Listen to this. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. No matter what David went through, he praised the Lord. And those Psalms, that's why I'm exhorting you to read them this morning. They were birthed out of tragedy. They were birthed out of tough times. That's what makes us. I, I use the illustration when I, when I talk to new converts. Pastor, why does this happen to me? And I'm a Christian. Why does this? God has got to get the hold of you. And here's the term I use. He's got to sandpaper the rough edges off you. He's got to make, listen, we sing a wee song. Make me like a precious stone crystal clear, and finally, God is preparing you to be the vessel he wants you to be. Now, listen to what I want to share with you. It's taken from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. It's read at weddings and special occasions, but listen to what Moses says. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, now listen to this. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. See that little word keep? Here's what it means. God's preservation. You might feel, Pastor, I feel shaky this morning. I feel uncertain this morning. I, I don't know what lies ahead this week or this month. God's preservation. Listen, there's a song I love. His eye is on the sparrow. You're a sparrow. He's going to keep you. He's going to protect you. He keeps his word. He's faithful. I will never leave you, 
nor forsake you. So he says, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. Listen to this. And the Lord make his face shine upon thee. What's that, Pastor? God's illumination. You're in a dark place this morning. Let God's face look on you. God's illumination. Well, what's that, Pastor? Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 80. Thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. Let me give you a little illustration. I love to walk, and most mornings I get to Belfast Castle to meet the sunrise. I always try to time it to get up there. There's nothing in the horizon, but then I look away across from the castle to the Ards Peninsula, and I see this little peak of light comes up over the hill. And as I stand there, it gets higher and higher, brighter and brighter till the sun hits my face. That's exactly what he means here. You'll rise in the morning and say, I'm going through the routine of another day, another mundane day. But he has already risen with healing in his wings. He's risen with his face looking and watching. He's behind you. He wants the best for you. He's guarding you. He's protecting you. He wants the best for you in the days that lie ahead. So he says, keeping and shining. But listen to this. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. What's that mean, pastor? The Lord's favor. The Lord's favor. Let me explain a little bit. What does that mean? God's consolation. Preservation. Illumination. Here's God's consolation. Listen, what does that mean, pastor? God's comfort. Listen, the tender love of God. And then he says this, the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Pastor, I can't find peace. I can understand that with all that's going on in society. And you look at our world today. Pastor, I can't find peace. Well, listen, if your hiding place is a person, peace is a person. Peace can't be bought. Peace isn't saying it can be a piece of paper. The peace that I'm talking about this morning is the person of Jesus Christ. We all quote this and forget it. John 14, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Listen, my peace I give unto you. What is peace? Peace is a person. I watch people, even believers, they're buying this, they're buying, to content themselves. And after a few, few weeks, they're bored. Peace is a person. Peace is in a person. How do you listen to Ephesians 2.14? Paul says, for he is our peace. Listen to Philippians 4 and 7. The peace of God that passes all understanding. I want to share something with you this morning, and then I'll sit down and give you peace. Eleven years ago, I was diagnosed with coronary heart disease. Did I panic? I went to my hiding place. That's 11 years ago. Because I believe what this book says. My times are in his hands. And if they're not in his hands this morning, I'm in trouble. The moment he saved me, he's kept me. And listen, I'm going to quote an old saying of Pastor McConnell. A man and a woman's work's infallible until it's your time to go. Now listen to me carefully. Last year, I went just for a simple little hearing test. And as a result of a simple little hearing test, I found an aneurysm in the brain. Do I look worried? My times are in his hands. 
Every day I get up, I bless God. Every day I get up, do you panic? Not at all. Do you worry? Not at all. I have a good daddy. He's called Abba Father. He's looking after me. Yes, why did I share that? Because I'm here to prove he's a good, good God. And whatever's going on in your life this morning, let me encourage you. He's a good God. He's a good God. Get that this morning. When I use the word good, I just that's a good make. He's good beyond good, beyond comprehending, beyond anything you can ever imagine. And when you get alone with him and you shed your tears and you cry and you come out of the closet, you feel a million dollars. When I walk the roads, as I do constantly from a boy of seven, I've walked the roads and I talk and I sing to him. There is nothing. There is nothing. There is no...